Hello and welcome to Season 8, Episode 5 of the How to Hold a Grudge podcast. I'm Sophie Hanna uh, and this episode is our last episode for entering the podcast's competition. Um, this episode will hopefully be aired just before the deadline uh, of the competition, which is the 31st of October. Although, you know, if the episode ends up being edited and put out late, then we will, of course, give you a couple of extra days. But the competition is um, the amazing competition to win either a signed, uh, specifically unique and individual poem by Nick Aubrey about a grudge of your choice. We'll tell you more about the competition at the end of the episode, uh, but I'm sure most of you know about it already because we've been trailing it uh, in every episode. Um, so this is going to be the last podcast in which we advertise and trail the amazing poetry book related competition. We are also in this episode going to be talking about complaining and the concept of being a Karen, which I've had on my list of things I want to discuss from a is it grudge worthy or not point of view for absolutely ages. And we're going to be looking at some more grudge acronyms. So um, I am joined for all of this fun and extravaganza-ishness by none other than Nick Aubrey. Hi, Nick. Hi, Sophie. So one of the one of the grudge acronyms that yeah. we're going to be talking about today is one that you thought of, which is which is, I'm glad you thought of one because I remember ages ago when we did the Davo episode, I set us both the homework of thinking of acronyms, and then then the season, which was season seven, abruptly ended because neither of us thought of any. Uh, but then I thought of Goobriff, which we've covered yeah. in the previous episode, and now you've thought of one. Yes, um, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Should we say Ankia? A-N-C-I-A. Yeah. Uh, is it Ankia or is it Ansia? Ansia, Ankia, whichever we prefer. I think I, I think I prefer to call it Ansia because I okay. think if it was a if it was Ankia, it should have a K. So okay. let's call let's, it Ansia. Let's go like Ancia. Ancillary. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's go Ansia then, which stands for accepting, not correcting instinctive apologies <laughs> accepting not correcting instinctive apologies and I don't know if this is a thing that's particular to me but if I am startled by someone's appearance or someone's presence in any context so if we are on opposite sides of a door that one of us opens and we're both standing there my instinct and it is an instinct and this is important is to say oh sorry I, oh, I just I apologize rather yeah. than saying, oh, a person, I, I apologise, I say, oh, sorry, which is fine and quite often is met by someone else whose instinct is exactly the same. So you both open the door and you both say, oh, sorry, and you have a bit of yeah. an awkward giggle and you move through the door. But there is a, there is a response to that instinctive apology, and I want your view as to whether it's grudgeworthy or not, which is to accept that apology. Um, and I find it particularly grudgeworthy when the person accepting that apology was actually at fault. So here's an example. So if I'm, if I'm cycling along the road and someone suddenly appears by stepping out into the road in front of me, again, my instinct will kick in and I'll say, oh, sorry. 
At which point, the person who stepped out in front of me, whose fault this incident clearly was, may say, oh gosh, no, 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 I'm sorry, uh, or, or give indication to that effect. But they sometimes say, that's fine, don't worry. And then I cycle off, seething, thinking, what do you mean that's fine? It wasn't a, it wasn't a sincere, I wasn't actually apologising for cycling along the road where you wanted to step off the pavement. I just said it instinctively. That was not an apology that you were meant to accept and forgive me for. That was an instinctive apology and you were not meant to accept it. Is that just me being mad or is that a recognisable phenomenon? No, I think that's definitely a recognisable phenomenon. And I wouldn't say it's happened to me often, but it's definitely happened to me a couple of times. Right. So I think that I'm very familiar with the instinctive apology because I do that all the time. And normally, normally nobody's at fault. It's like yes, say, exactly. two, two people, you know, bump into each other, let's say. I mean, to yeah. me, it often happens in swimming pools. Uh, you know, if I'm swimming along and someone else is swim swimming along and we accidentally sort of, you know, bump against each other, then what normally happens is we both go, oh, sorry. Yes. Which is the instinctive thing. And, that, you know, I find it's just nice to go, oh, sorry, if there's any, you know, if in doubt, say, oh, sorry, because it yes. just kind of oils the wheels. But almost always the other person also goes, oh, sorry. And then whether it's neither of your faults or their fault or your fault you're covered everyone is covered yes <laughs> so if you have a bump into situation or a you know unscheduled finding each other in your proximity if everybody just says oh sorry yes then whoever's at fault nobody's going to go away cross right because everyone's saying sorry um and that for me is normally what happens but i as soon as i read your Ansia descriptive paragraph I thought yes that has happened a couple of times where you say oh sorry just instinctively not because you think you've done anything wrong yes. and they treat it as though it's a considered apology which they are graciously accepting yes. in a context where they were the one <laughs> who did the massive bumping into or whatever it was so yeah I'm definitely Definitely. Or at least equally at fault. I mean, I think there's probably a lesser ansia and a greater ansia, isn't there? Yeah. Where fault is equal, it's a lesser ansia if you if you accept the apology. But where it is exclusively your fault, uh, that is greater yeah. ansia, I think. Very good point. So where it's exclusively your fault, I think we can call that ansia major. Okay. <laughs> where you're equally at fault, but you accept an apology as if the other person is exclusively at fault, that, that could be ansia minor. Definitely, yes. Well, well good, I'm glad you do recognise it. I'm glad it's not just my madness. No, I, I instantly recognise it. And I think it's linked to other grudgeworthy phenomena. I think there are, you know, insofar as there's grudge sort of subcategories it is definitely linked to other ones like well the sort of I mean Larry David has done episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm on at least some of these things there's, there's one Larry episode where he lets somebody stay in his amazing house in a way that is hugely helpful and convenient to that person and they say thanks in a way that he regards as insufficient. <laughs> so like instead, and this isn't exactly it because I haven't seen the episode for a while, but instead of kind of going, 
oh my God, Larry, this is so kind of you. I'm so grateful. Instead, they kind of go, yeah, cheers, Larry, in a very offhand way. And he spends the rest of the episode seething that he's been insufficiently thanked. Um, and I think also there's a phenomenon of, I mean, insufficient X, Y, or Z is, yeah. you know, the insufficiency is always grudgeworthy. So whether it's apology, um, thanking somebody, uh, I, I often find it to be grudgeworthy when people are insufficiently kind of interested in something that they really should be interested in or insufficiently effusive. Like if something amazing has happened or, you know, you take them to a lovely place and they don't say, oh, what a lovely place. I sometimes think that's insufficiently <laughs> effusive. So, so I think the ansia, major and minor, are kind of linked to that and it's interesting because insufficient apology is one grudgeworthy thing but this isn't this is linked to insufficient apology but it's a very different thing it's actually excessive acceptance of an apology when you should be the one giving it out exactly unmerited acceptance of an apology yeah yeah I think that's a brilliant one I think that's an absolutely brilliant one now you might be able to identify with and appreciate Another acronym style grudge, which I'm just searching for now, which was sent in by none other than Barbara. If you remember, oh, Barbara is our amazing listener who sent in loads of ACE acronym grudges. The um, of acronyms, yeah. Yeah, and she sent another one in after listening to our episode about Goobrif. She says, I am naturally friendly and have had definite sudden onset gubrif attacks upon running into a known problem person. Uh, it feels like my nature and the grudge collide in my brain and somehow the friendliness pops out first. And that's exactly how I experienced gubrif. But anyway, she then says, it made me think about another grudge undermining type of reaction I've had, which I think may qualify as a gubrif cousin. <laughs> Um, and she said, oh, actually, she says, sorry, no acronym this time, but there is a song reference. So this might lead to a whole other strand of grudge okay. classifications. <laughs> How many grudge classifications can we think of that are song title related? So this one that Barbara's suggesting is called Total Eclipse of the Grudge. <laughs> she says, this is where I am spontaneously warm and friendly to a problematic person I run into or hear from. But in this case, it's not because of Goobrif. It's because I am experiencing involuntary grudge amnesia. Then much later, maybe days later, I get a bad nagging feeling and the grudge details come trickling back in. And then I can't believe I forgot something so significant. Um, but just as in the case of Goobrif, I've now also given the impression of not having any grudge at all. So in other words, the person appears, you're totally friendly to them because you've literally forgotten yes, that yeah. you have a grudge. Is that something you can relate to, Nick? <laughs> well, I, I can certainly relate to um, forgetting the major events of my life, which I do on the basis <laughs> now. Um, I can't, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to sort of think of all the grudges that I've forgotten because I've forgotten them. But yes, I I I suppose I can I can certainly understand it conceptually that you might uh, you might not have at the forefront of your mind when you see someone um, something that they did to you which was grudgeworthy that you could then uh, remember later. Definitely, yes, I could I could see that, and I can also see how she describes it as a cousin of Goobrif because it is very similar, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
it's less about an instinctive reaction though as you say and more about just a sort of failure of memory but um and maybe you could even see it as a cousin a very closely linked cousin of Gubriff, because really with Gubriff, it's almost like the forgetting and the friendliness rearing up you could say that just in in a sort of second long instinctive moment yes. your brain does forget the grudge because the friendliness appears and then but then the grudge is there immediately after so maybe total eclipse of the grudge is a very very slowed down yes. version of Gubriff. in other words slow burn, slow burn Gubriff, prolonged yeah. Gubriff. Yeah. yeah so like the friendliness comes first but there's a kind of bad feeling and then you go away and then later you go oh there was that that grudgeworthy thing whereas with with Gubriff, it's it's you know, the friendliness comes up first and seconds later, or even a fraction of a second later, the the grudge memory comes up, but it's all happening very quickly. Um, I think, no, actually, I think the difference is that with total eclipse of the grudge, as Barbara describes it, you literally have forgotten that you have a grudge about that person. It's, it's just not in your mind. So you're friendly to them. And then something sort of is just eating away at the back of your mind and then you remember. So it does sound more like in the case of Total Eclipse of the Grudge, you have genuinely forgotten the grudge. Yeah. And I can imagine this is the sort of thing that might happen with someone you haven't seen for a very long time. So for example, an old school friend that you haven't seen for 25 years at a reunion where everything's very jolly and it's nice to catch up. Mm. And then as you're driving home, you remember, hang on a minute, they yeah. stole my girlfriend in 1992 or whatever yeah. it might be or yeah I, I do you know I think yeah. that the question this raises for me and Barbara if you're listening tell me whether this is kind of what you mean so I can really relate to total eclipse of the grudge but in very specific circumstances so if I have a grudge that I fully recognize and I'm aware of and especially if I've done my grudge fold path yes you know processing of grudges so it's definitely a grudge that I'm aware of and it's there in my grudge cabinet if anyone doesn't know what my grudge cabinet is or the grudge fold path all of that information is in my book how to hold a grudge uh, but it's basically how I process grudges if a grudge has made it into full awareness and I think of it as one of my grudges then there's no way I'm ever forgetting that I might discontinue it. I might decide it's no longer valid and go, ah, I'm getting rid of that grudge. That happens all the time. But I don't just forget about it because I have a good memory. I think Barbara's thing of total eclipse of the grudge might be something that happens more if the grudge you have about whoever it is, is one that has never been brought fully into awareness. And I think that, that for me, would make me say, yes, I have total eclipse of the grudge sometimes. But for me, what that feels like is I'll see someone, I'll be totally fine and friendly. But there is, as Barbara describes, the bad nagging feeling. And after the interaction, I'm just left sort of thinking, oh, something just feels a bit off. Obviously, I'm glad I was friendly to the person, but there's just something that's bothering me here to do with me and this person, what could it be? And then when I really think about it, I unearth something that happened ages ago that I didn't register as grudgeworthy or fully bring into awareness as a grudge. 
Um, Because that can easily happen. You know, things happen. You get on with your life. you You skate past them. You don't sort of notice everything that has significance. But I think some things that you don't notice at the time lodge in your subconscious. So then you might meet the person, have a friendly interaction, feel a bit off about it, feel a bit almost like, well, I'm glad I'm fr- I'm glad I was friendly to that person because obviously why wouldn't I be? But I also have a vague feeling of there being something wrong about that person. What could it be? And I I can think of two examples where I had that for some time. I had a perfectly civilized and friendly relationship with two different people. But after every interaction, I would come away in both cases with a nagging feeling of, I'm not sure I like that person. <laughs> Whenever we interact, they annoy me a bit, and but they don't do anything wrong. So why am I annoyed? It felt like all the annoyance was just coming from me. And so I thought, right, at a certain point in both cases, I thought, I really need to solve this mystery. So, so what I, my question for Barbara is, does total eclipse of the grudge have an element of mystery solving about it? Because if it does, then I can really relate to it. And what I worked out in the cases of both these people is that years earlier, they had both done or said something, separate things, which I hadn't really registered at the time as anything problematic at all. Um, but when I thought about it now, what I realized was I had been annoyed or upset by those things, but I hadn't let myself realize that or recognize the things as grudgeworthy at the time. But that was what was creating the little nagging feeling. And then as soon as I kind of went, okay, let's look at those years ago incidents. Was there a grudgeworthy thing? Oh, yeah, I think there was. Soon as I recognized that, the kind of unacknowledged grudge from the past, then I was able to be totally friendly and fine with the people. So it was almost like that total eclipse of the grudge feeling was trying to remind me that I had miscategorized ages ago behaviors as totally fine, which I, which my subconscious always knew that I didn't really think were totally fine. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Um, I suspect, and I don't want to answer for Barbara, and as you say, Barbara should get in touch with the real answer. I suspect that that's a slightly different thing, though, because you are obviously the grudge expert and you've got a a well-developed way of processing your grudges. Um, If Barbara is anything like me, it's probably just genuine amnesia. Um, Like sometimes... uh, Again, it's not quite the same thing, but sometimes I can be really annoyed and sulking with someone and then completely forget why I am. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're still sulking well beyond the point at which you remember what they've done. So I think think it is entirely plausible that for for long enough for you to be friendly, um, uh, some sort of presumably relatively trivial, but some sort of relatively trivial Mm. offence could be forgotten. Yeah. And then, then it comes back to you and you go, oh, I shouldn't have been so friendly to them because they still haven't given yeah. me back my lawnmower or whatever. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, because it sounds like there are two different things being described. Mm. Maybe total eclipse of the grudge is what you've just described and what Barbara described. And I think what I'm talking about might be something slightly different, which is kind of... Um, unacknowledged was a good word, the unacknowledged yeah. word. Yeah, sort of subconsciously held grudge that has never been brought into full awareness. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. While we're on this subject, actually, before we get on to complaining, yeah, uh, complaining and Kareniness. Um, <laughs> what do you think about? So I had an experience recently where um, I was at an event and there were loads of people at the event and it was, you know, it was all fine. It was a, a, a work related event that I was doing. Um, and there was one person who I, I cannot say they did anything wrong or grudgeworthy at all. In mm. fact, they didn't, they didn't do anything wrong or grudgeworthy, but so many of the things that they said to me, I mean, it was a, it was a, a huge event and everyone was talking to everyone. Mm. But whereas my interactions with everyone else, I was just like, yeah, this is just a fine, friendly interaction. There was one particular person and every interaction I had with him, I thought, he's trying to get at me. He's, mm. you know, he's, he's got some aggression or antipathy towards me. And so he has to be friendly, but, but, everything he said, he, even innocuous things. I felt this really strong, like, you, you know, when someone's being friendly on the surface, yeah, a plausible deniability, yeah. but actually they're just trying to needle you in every way they can. Yeah. So I, I felt that this person kind of had it in for me and was subtly needling me, but, but I'm very aware that this does not mean that that was the truth of the situation because did he do or say anything wrong, mean, unfriendly? Absolutely not. It, now, well, so, what, so, so what was I'm Was a person you knew? Uh, vaguely, not, not hugely well, no. So uh, are you in a position to say whether that is consistent with his usual manner or you didn't you wouldn't it, it's no it is it is so this is the thing okay right okay when, in the, the brief interactions I've ever had with this person yeah I always come away thinking again to, to go back to Larry David and yeah well not Curb in this case but Seinfeld there's an episode where George Costanza in Seinfeld thinks that someone is as he puts it sticking it to him yeah and by that, he means trying to get at him while appearing friendly on the surface. And George goes around for that whole episode going, saying to Jerry, his friend, is yeah. he sticking it to me? I think he's sticking it to me, but he can't prove it. So I have a couple of people in my circle of acquaintance who I just always, when I interact with them, almost always, my thought is, are they sticking it to me? <laughs> or would they like to be now? Because 99.9% .9 of the people I interact with, I never think that about. This leads me to believe possibly falsely, and this is what I'd like your opinion on. Yeah. It possibly gives me the false belief that they, the, the people, the very few people who I do think, are they sticking it to me? I, I kind of think, well, they must be because I don't think this in my interactions with 99.9% .9 of people. So if there are people I know, and every time I interact with them, I come away thinking, were they trying to stick it to me? Was there some unacknowledged aggression there that was seeping out in the friendly facade? I tend to think that if I even have those questions strongly in my mind, that it must mean 
that they're sticking it to me or that there's some kind of, even if they're not consciously sticking it to me, that there's some kind of subconscious aggression or hostility there. But what I want to know is, is that super unreasonable of me to, to think that if I'm feeling that, they must be doing that? Now, the reason I think it might be super unreasonable of me is because I'm very aware that it's my thoughts and beliefs about people that create my feelings towards them. It's not their behavior, right? It's my interpretations. And I'm a very inventive, imaginative, and melodramatic novelist. So it's entirely possible, for example, that someone could have no aggression, no hostility, and not be trying to stick it to me at all, and that I could just make that shit up. On the other hand, why, don't, why does that question never enter my head when I'm, for example, chatting to you or 99.9% .9 of the people I know? So that makes me think there must be some truth in it. Anyway, any, thought, any thoughts on that, which I've just randomly sprung on you? I think, I think that's very interesting. I think answering your question, the comparison between those couple of people who make you feel uneasy and everyone else you know is not as valuable a comparison as how those couple of people treat you in relation to how they treat other people because I think we can only answer your question if we know how those people interact with other people and if they are if their manner is exactly the same with everyone else uh, and everyone is left feeling, oh, they were a bit, oh, was there, was there a double edge to that? Was there a hidden meaning to that? Then maybe it is just something to do with their manner. Um, because I think uh, it would need to be personal to you, wouldn't it? If they really were trying to stick it to you specifically, unless they're just trying to stick it to the world. Um, well, there are, there are people who, talk in that kind of veiled needly way to everyone they definitely yeah. are but yeah, absolutely. yeah. So I, guess, I guess I guess it's impossible to answer your question I mean I here's what I would say I think you are absolutely right that you shouldn't ignore your instincts on it and that your instincts on it make it worthy of further inquiry mm. because as you say, if you don't get that feeling with 99.9% .9 of people and you do with them, then there is clearly something different about them and the way they interact from everyone else you know that makes them potentially potentially uh, worthy of suspicion. But until you know how they are with other people, until you know, uh, yes, they are categorically uh, sweetness and light and effusive warmth with everyone else and only needly with me, uh, yeah, no, that, so it's interesting because the I'm actually only thinking of two people really this chat okay. mentioned before and one other person in both cases I've seen them do what I regard as fairly grudgeworthy communications to and about other people as well so it's definitely okay. not an exclusive to me thing however in okay. both cases interestingly people I really trust have said to me quite separately about both of these people. They've said, they've really got an issue with you, haven't they? Did you notice, you know, they're different to you from how they are to me. So I think both, well, both things can be true. Um, yeah. That they can be generally needly. Yes. Needly and, and sort of barbed or, or like hostility comes over even when they're trying to be friendly. 
So the, well, I think that is the evidence I was talking about. If other people have identified it, if other people have said... Yeah, yeah. The two people I think other people have said, yeah, they, they have... It's like they have an issue with you that they don't want to acknowledge to themselves. And so they're being a bit, a bit snidey, a bit... It's not always snidey, but just... Anyway, yeah. you'll, you'll be glad to hear that I, I, I resolved this issue... Um, in terms of what I should do, I resolved right. this by, by thinking back to my own book about how to hold a grudge in a, yeah. in a healthy way. Because when it comes to holding our grudges, we're not going to use our grudges ever to do any harm to anyone or be mean to anyone. We're just always going to use them for, to protect ourselves. And because of that, we don't need to get consensus or beyond reasonable doubt kinds of verdicts. We can That's just right. decide we are the only judge and jury here so I've just decided whether their intentions are a hundred hundred percent lovely or whether it's veiled hostility or even deliberate hostility it doesn't actually matter I don't want to be socially interacting with people where I'm where I know I'm going to be spending the whole time thinking are they trying to stick it to me are they trying to stick to me so I just won't have contact with those people end of problem it doesn't mean I'm going to be mean to them yeah contact me I'll be perfectly friendly and lovely and polite but it's kind of like rather than spend loads of time with them constantly wondering are they trying to stick it to me I just don't spend loads of time with them because because actually it's not enjoyable spending time with people who are you know even if they're not trying to stick it to you if their manner is that kind of jibey and snidey then it's not going to be fun hanging out with them anyway so Absolutely. As you say, that is contact and protect yourself. And then you don't I don't have to get stuck in endless mental loops of are they, aren't they? But what's the evidence suggesting? You know, it's just like, no, whether they are or not, who cares? I don't want to hang out with people who whose possibly completely innocent behavior constantly makes me think, are they trying to stick it to me? So I just save myself that experience by massively minimizing contact with them. And that's a grudge working in exactly the way, as you say, that you theorise that grudges should, which is in a... Yeah, you just protect yourself. Yeah, in an unemotional way. You protect yourself and you... Because one of the things I think grudges do that's, that's positive in our lives and one of the ways in which our grudges can really steer us in a good direction is if you observe grudgeworthy behaviour, it inspires you to be the opposite of that. And so it makes me think, I don't want anyone ever, I mean, unless I dislike someone, in which case I don't really mind. And I may be going to, you know, directly needle them. But if I, people <laughs> I like and I'm friends with and care about, I don't want them ever to think, when she said that supposedly friendly comment, was she actually trying to stick it to me? So, you, you know, just it's just a good reminder to just be unambiguously nice and friendly and not try and sneak in a barbed criticism of somebody in the guise of a friendly or innocent comment. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think actually there are some people whose just natural mode of communication involves some snide digs. I mean, it, the male version of this is often referred to as banter. Yes. Like, oh, get another round in, you fat, ugly bastard. That kind of thing. Like, <laughs> and then if you asked a group of blokes in the pub, were they upset that each other was saying that to them? They'd be like, no, it's just blokey banter. So women don't do that, but they sure as hell do something. <laughs> <laughs>
some of them do anyway uh, and and some maybe do it because they deliberately think I'm going to say this and it's going to have this effect on that person. I want to undermine them and make them feel attacked. Whereas others, and I think the large majority, it's almost like they don't realise how their possibly unacknowledged hostility is seeping out. They're trying as hard as they can to be friendly, but little jibes are seeping out. And so I, I just solve the problem by going, I don't want to spend any time at all with jibey seeping out people. <laughs> if, if they can't deal with their seeping jibes in the privacy of their own home and come out and be totally jolly, then I'd rather not have too much to do with them. Anyway, that was a total tangent, but I thought I would ask you your view about that because I think it's the danger is that if you feel, if, if you're in someone's company and you keep thinking, are they trying to stick it to me? The danger is you decide they are and you decide that it's deliberate and you can make it worse than it is for yourself. Uh, so what I always like to think is, this person may have no idea that they're coming across like this. So I'm not gonna blame them for anything or decide they're doing anything mean, but I'm also gonna give myself permission just not to hang out with them anymore, which I think is a good, happy medium. Would you ever consider the middle way of talking to them directly about it? Oh, that's a good question. And do you know, I was chatting to my sister about this because um, she came to stay. Um, just She's just gone, in fact. And I was, um, I was showing her some, some written, written evidence of what I thought was sticking it to me behaviour. And I was going, look at this. Is this person sticking it to me or not? Uh, and she said, I mean, yeah, she said, I don't know what their intention is, but yeah, that's not okay. That thing, the thing I showed you, that's not okay. Yeah, yeah. And she said, and she said this to me millions of times, literally, well, at least dozens of times. She's like, why don't you just say something? <laughs> and it's interesting because you've just asked, would I ever, I don't think I would because. I wouldn't, as you know, I'm a dreadful coward and avoid all confrontation. Yeah. You're braver than me. Cowardice is not why I wouldn't. And I, I'm sure, actually, this has come up in previous episodes, in, in long ago seasons of the Grudge podcast. Um, but it's more to do with, because there's a chance that everyone who I might think this about, like, are they a, are they a hidden jibes communicator? Everyone I think that about might be completely innocent, right? They might just have no bad intentions, no hostility, but just a very different communicative style from me. And I am very much of the view of I'd rather innocent people didn't didn't suffer, even if that means guilty people don't get punished. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 12 angry men fan. I do not believe in being mean to innocent people. So I think for me to say to somebody, hey, when you said this, this and this and did this, this and this, I really thought you were trying to stick it to me, were you, or whatever I might say, mm. I would feel as though that was me basically like bringing a very difficult and, and kind of critical conversation, not critical as an important, but critical as in full of criticism, mm. conversation to them. And they might be completely innocent of any harmful intentions towards me. They might just be going through their lives, minding their own business, just communicating as they communicate. So 
if I was absolutely sure that someone was sitting there thinking, right, I have to be friendly to Sophie today. So I'm going to prepare my 10 hidden digs so that I can really stick it to that bitch. If I knew they were thinking like that, then I would happily say, hey, what's going on? I'm not having this. Ah, you see, I would have thought. But, it, but you never know. I would have thought it the other way, that actually that would be that would be the worst, the worse and most uncomfortable and more uncomfortable rather scenario in which to challenge someone is if you thought it was genuine. But if you thought that... No, it's, it's only if I knew it was genuine. So let's okay. say that this chap that I met at this big gathering, let's say I, you know, someone rang me up and said, I found a note, you know, this chap lent me a book and I found a note in this book he lent me. And this note was headed plan of how I'm going to subtly attack Sophie Hannah next time I meet her <laughs> with all the comments pre-planned right then I'd yeah. have evidence that he was trying to stick it to me that it's a hostile attack that it's not just me making things up in my imagination then I'd feel okay I'm not I'm not starting trouble here right okay right but if it was even if it was someone who I was absolutely sure was sticking it to me on a regular basis there would still be a large part of my brain that was going, I could be totally wrong. And that's why I wouldn't want to say anything because the saying of something, I can't see how that wouldn't be horrible for the person who might be totally innocent. I could understand that if the alternative were just to carry on exactly as you are normally. But if the alternative is... I'm going to resolve to have nothing more to do with this person insofar as that's possible for me. I would have thought that it is at least possible that it would be preferable to have a moment of unpleasantness and awkwardness where a person has to go, oh God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was coming across like that. I can't believe that's how you felt. I'm really, a, no, 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 couldn't be further from the truth. That that awkward confrontation would be worth it if, if what they stood to gain by that was your ongoing society yeah it's not the awkwardness that I would worry about at all it's the idea that it it's would unjustified. It, I think it's a, uh, most people disagree with me about this but <laughs> I so strongly instinctively feel that it would not be an okay or nice thing to do um, that I wouldn't do it and also if it were the case that I thought they're sticking it to me over and over again and it was genuinely unintentional and innocent on their part, then that means they are someone who literally, even when not trying, gives me such a bad vibe, or uh, they don't give me a bad vibe, but my thoughts in their presence give me such a bad vibe that I kind of don't want to hang out with them much anyway. So it's not like by saying, if I say, oh, is this intentional? They go, no, 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 genuinely it isn't. Then I'm like, oh dear. Well, now if I carry on hanging out with you, I know that this is just going to happen and there's not even anything you can do to stop it happening because you don't even mean it in the first place. Do you see what I mean? I do see what you mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, this is a big thing. You know, people are constantly, constantly saying to me, why don't you just say something? Um, and there are a few situations where I feel as though just saying something is okay. Uh, but generally, if it's like, hey, you might have done this thing wrong, I almost always don't think that is something that I want to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, weird. We probably need to interrogate that more in another... Because you're the same, aren't you? You also, I think, 
Like if you suddenly noticed that a close friend was constantly saying things and doing things where you you found you were thinking, have they got some problem with me? Are they trying to stick at me? <laughs> Would you ever, could you ever imagine like raising it as a topic for discussion? No, not at all. But again, this is because of my this is because of my self-acknowledged cowardice and avoidance of all awkwardness. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as I've said before, I would rather, yes, I would rather just um, uh, sit at home in my pyjamas watching Netflix for the rest of my life, <laughs> avoiding the world, rather than having awkward conversations about our relationships. <laughs> so that's, that tends to be what I do. Um, but yes, no, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I really am bad at having the conversations I ought to have, really. Mm. But again, it's because of my fear of that yeah. confrontational moment. I only want to tell people good news. I only want I want people to like me. I'm very, very needy, you know, all that stuff. So I, I don't ever want to have awkward or difficult conversations. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think also if someone is behaving in a way that makes you feel not okay, or may, not not okay, but makes you constantly think, are they attacking me? To go to them with an honest and open conversation is potentially handing more power over your thoughts and feelings to someone you suspect of being an attacker. It feels a bit like, you know, opening the fortress and going, come in, opposing sides army and have a cup of tea. You know, it might go well, but they might somehow in that conversation try to get even more of, foot, of a foothold so that they can stick it to you even more. <laughs> or they might get the satisfaction of going, ha, so I got to them. That It worked. I got, I got, you know, I got my things in there and they were noticed. So it's, it's definitely a power thing for me. It's like if someone is trying in any way to get at me, I don't want to give them any more power to have any influence or effect, I'd rather just kind of think, okay, well, it could be me, it could be them, but either way, there's plenty of people I can spend time with where this just isn't even an issue because they're just, you know, they, they come across as just uncomplicatedly nice, friendly, genuinely warm, have my best interests at heart, don't have any hidden agenda of trying to attack in any way. And I'd just rather hang out with those people than have like earnest conversations with people who might be attacking me. Do you see what I mean? Yes, and presumably the difficulty, a further difficulty arises if these people are not so easily shaken. For example, if you are related to them or if you work very closely with them or do you know what I mean? If you are forced into regular contact with them. Yeah, well, that yeah, and that's often the case. And then you just have to put them in a different mental bracket. Yes, OK. Um, you, you know, you, it's very easy, even if you have sustained contact with someone and can't avoid it. It's actually quite easy to just go, OK, I'm putting you in a little box in my mind. You are a potential. I mean, sometimes I've been in situations like this where the person is a definite aggressor, where there's such a weight of evidence that you just think you are definitely that kind of, you know, sticking it to people person. Mm. Uh, and you just put a little glass box around them in your brain and then thereafter, nothing they do or say. You're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got you. I, I know what you, I know what you're trying to do. I know what you like. Nothing you say is going to bother me from now on. Uh, so that is that is what you can do if you can't not spend much time with them. But I would even argue that at work or in a family context, you always can. 
even if you can't minimize the amount of time you spend in a building or in a room with them, you can minimize the amount of thought and attention you direct towards them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see that distinction, yeah. Like, I'm just not even thinking about that person again or paying attention to anything they say or do ever again. And then even if they're there in your living room quite regularly, you're <laughs> still protected. Um, because what, what, in my case, what I want to save myself is just mental energy expended. The, the constant, are they trying to stick it to me now? Or were they last week? Or were they the time before? That's mm. just a waste of energy. Yeah. So that's why I like the solution of going, who cares? They either are or they aren't. But the fact is I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy conversations with people where I'm constantly having to ask myself that. So I'm just going to stop asking myself because we'll never know the answer. And I'll just m take away all the attention that I was giving to that person, whether they're in the room with me or not. <laughs> you know. Anyway. Let's talk about complaining before we run out of time. So are you familiar with the concept of a Karen? And if so, do you know what a Karen is? Because I did not know what one was until relatively recently. And when I heard the definition, I was in a situation, somebody was being criticized, somebody I didn't know was being moaned about. And I heard the moaners say, oh, she's such a Karen. Yeah, she's a real Karen. And I said, hey, I'm glad you've mentioned that word because I hear it all the time. I notice it around and about. I don't get it. It obviously doesn't mean people who are actually called Karen. So what does it mean to be a Karen? And the definition I was given, I was like, wow, mm, this is really weird. So before we go any further, what's your definition of a Karen? I, I, I have heard the term. Uh, I do know it. My understanding of it would be uh a middle-aged woman who, uh, yes, who complains and who uh, probably without justification and probably with, in a very one-eyed and unreasonable way, um, uh, uh, sort of about the behavior of others and probably in a way that isn't particularly quite, I think intolerance is probably a part of the Karen uh, persona that I understand. Sort of not particularly, um, not particularly woke or tolerant. Is that, is that roughly right? Okay, well, it's interesting that you said woke because that, uh, that- well, that's a very tricky word. That's a very tricky word, but yeah. Oh, so yeah. not. I didn't no. realize that because what I was taught when I said what's a Karen um the person who explained it to me just said one sentence he said oh it's the kind of woman who says I'm going to complain to the manager yes so you, the first thing you said which was like middle a middle-aged woman who complains would yes. tie in with what this other person said a, a woman who says I'm going to complain to the manager now when I heard that definition I was reminded of, um, but I'm, quite forcefully and unreasonably, I think is the is is the sense. So someone who sort of marches in and in quite an unreasonable way uh, asserts their own rights and their own position in a way that's probably a bit overzealous. I think because okay. I, I think a middle-aged woman who complains to a manager, you, lots of middle-aged women and lots of people generally presumably in lots of circumstances, have complained to managers oh, in, a, in, a, in a polite and reasonable way. Um, and 
in a way that is entirely justified. <laughs> so um, well, this I, is why I, I was worried when I heard this definition of the right. term Karen, because I've seen it bandied about and it's meant to be a terrible thing being a Karen. And when this person said to me that what it means is a, a woman who complains to a manager or a woman who says I'm going to complain to the manager. I thought of two things that at the time had happened to me very recently where I had, in one case I had complained to a manager and in another case I hadn't but had thought about doing so. So the first instance was um, it was some special occasion. I think it was even, uh, yeah, I think it was my 50th birthday. It was either that or it was my daughter's 18th birthday. Anyway, it was somebody's birthday and we were in London and we wanted to go into Tiffany's, the jewellery shop, but not, not Tiffany's on its own. It, there's, there's somewhere in London where there's a branch of Tiffany's in a department store. It might have been, I know where it was, Selfridges. Okay. In Selfridges. And we were in Selfridges looking around in general. We walked past this Tiffany's bit and my daughter and I were like, oh, let's go in and have a look because we were actually looking for a piece of jewellery, but we didn't know what kind, we didn't know what we wanted. Yeah. Whoever's birthday it was, we thought oh, maybe we'll get some nice jewellery as a present because the purpose of being in London was buying presents. Yes. So we queued up. You have to queue to get. This was sort of in COVID days, so we we had to queue up to get in. And when we got to the front of the queue, the woman there said, "You know what? What are you looking for?" And I said, "We don't know. We haven't got a specific thing in mind. We'd just like to browse because we want to buy." A piece of jewellery probably mm. and she said I'm sorry unless you know specifically what you're looking for we can't let you in <laughs> so I I sort of explained well the thing is it's a birthday jewellery is on the list of possible birthday presents very often we just look and see something we like and it could be a necklace it could be some earrings we just don't know but we you know, we definitely just want to browse. And, you know, we showed them my daughter was wearing something we'd bought in Tiffany's for a previous birthday. And this woman just would not let us in. She said, unless you tell me exactly what you're looking for, like a ruby and diamond ring with, you know, set in platinum or whatever, we can't let you in. So... Did she explain I, it? Was it, I mean, was there a, was there a COVID-y type reason? Was there, ooh, we can't let you just... No, the COVID thing was they were limiting who, how many people went in at any given time. So we'd already waited. This was partly why it was annoying. We'd waited for like half an hour to get to the point where enough people had come out so that we could go in. So had they let us in, it would have been compliant with the number of people who were allowed in at the time. So it definitely wasn't that. It was just, I, I don't know why it was actually, because well, what happened next was, so we went away. Hmm. Um, and I mean, we were serious. I can't guarantee it, but I'm 80% sure that if they'd let us in, we would have bought some jewellery. We would have maybe bought more than one item and we would certainly have bought one. So they actually, I mean, I'm sure Tiffany's are doing fine and they don't need our custom. <laughs> but they lost out on some custom that day for, in my opinion, no really valid reason. And I also believe that shops should allow people to browse and most jewellery shops do, most shops do. So anyway, I, we went away um, and later on I wrote a letter to, you know, Tiffany headquarters saying this is what happened and I, I don't think it's okay. <laughs> I got a phone call back from some very senior, sorry, I got an email back from a very senior Tiffany's person saying, 
this is so terrible this happened please can we talk on the phone or on zoom or in person so that we can start try and I just thought I don't want to be having long conversations with Tiffany's people like the fact that they said this is so terrible it happened was good enough and then I just said thanks that's fine no no further action needed so that had happened and then another thing that happened was that I was staying in a hotel that had a swimming pool that had rules about when children were and weren't allowed in. And let's say the adults only slot was from 8am to 10am. There was one morning where my husband and I were swimming and um, we were there about nine and at quarter to 10, a couple with a toddler came and got into the pool, including the toddler. And you could just see, all around the pool and in the pool, the faces of every adult who wasn't the parents of the toddler. Now, again, this is just my thought. I could have been totally wrong. I don't think I was wrong, but I, I thought I could see every single grown up in that vicinity thinking, hang on a minute. There are still 15 minutes of child free time left. Why is the person in charge? Because there were people in charge on the the hotel. Why is the child being let in 15 minutes um, before time? And anyway, I thought, you know, oh, well, it's one child. It's fine. It's a big swimming pool. Um, But then I heard a bit later, maybe at like seven minutes to 10, I heard a woman say to her husband, you know, children really are not supposed to be in the pool at this point. Uh, I think I'm going to go and say something. So I, obviously I sort of listened to see what happened. And her husband said, no, 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 don't, don't. It's only seven minutes. And she said, yeah, but it's not okay. I think I should go and say something. And her husband said something that I thought was so interesting. He said, so interesting. He said, he said, I think they were American. He said, come on, honey, you don't want to be that person. And I, I think what he meant was, a bit similar to you don't want to be a Karen. You don't want to be the person who gets out of the pool and complains about the child in the pool. And I thought to myself, though I did not say because this married couple were having a private conversation that didn't invite my input, but I thought to myself, what do you mean you don't want to be that person? Like if there are grown-ups who have come to the pool specifically to find a child-free time to swim, and then a child appears for the last 15 minutes. Why is it not totally fine for that woman to go and say, hey, there's a child in the pool. There shouldn't be a child in the pool. Like on one level, I get what her husband meant by you don't want to be that person. But on another level, I really kind of bristled and thought. So, so this is why this is what I'm putting forward as a potentially grudgeworthy thing. When people try to use expressions like don't be a Karen and don't be that person to silence legitimate complaints that would not be made in an aggressive or mean way and I think that is definitely a thing that happens so because the whole connection now exists in our minds with Karens and complaining Mm. does that maybe create a highly grudgeworthy effect where for instance you order a pizza in a restaurant someone brings you a pizza covered in like cow dung and you think, well, I can't complain because I don't want to be one of those terrible Karen-y people. And is it not highly grudgeworthy that we're now being slightly encouraged to think that middle-aged women complaining about things 
is bad and wrong. But but sometimes middle-aged women have things to complain about in a quite <laughs> legitimate way. And why on earth should they not politely do so, is my view. I, I This is very interesting. And I was very interested that you said that the chap was American who was advising his wife not to, uh, because my... Um, a convenient Rolodex of national stereotypes would suggest that um, it is quite a British thing to tut, but not to complain. Uh, and making a scene is regarded as very un-British and complaining could be regarded as making a scene. Okay, on those, uh, on your general point, I completely agree with you mm. that there are, of course, legitimate uh, circumstances in which to complain and there are reasonable uh, dare we call them non-James Cordonish ways in which to complain. Um, uh, you'll, so, have, you'll have to tell me more about uh, about James Corden. I, th- I believe James. I believe James Corden. I, I saw his name on Twitter, but I have no idea what he's meant to have done. If well, anything. no, I don't. As you know, I'm not a. I don't. I'm not an assiduous follower of the celebrity news on the Mail Online. But uh, my understanding is that James Corden was recently banned from a New York restaurant because he conveyed his displeasure at some aspect of that restaurant's work to the waiting staff in a manner which was deemed to be rude and uh, excessive. Um, so I think the way in which you complain is very important. Um, and you're absolutely right that there are obviously there are obviously circumstances in which um, complaint is the right thing to do. And for goodness sake, companies are forever telling us they want our feedback and they our, our views matter to them. And so it, it can't be the wrong thing to do to present those views. I think in the specific, I think the Tiffany's example feels much more clear cut to me. Mm. And what, because what this comes down to, whether you are in inverted commas and a Karen or not, um, uh, dip, uh, the, the significant factor is how reasonable your complaint is and how out of proportion you have got your own well-being in relation to the situation in which you find yourself, I guess. Tiffany, yeah. Tiffany's totally, totally clear-cut. Totally clear-cut. Yeah. Um, the swimming one yeah need more information i think yeah because if the child were if i were swimming length if i were doing length swimming yeah which i assume lots of the grown-ups were as a sort of yeah and the child were a quiet and well-behaved child of harassed looking parents that had been clock watching since four o'clock in the morning with a child saying, can I go in the pool now? Can I go in the pool now? Is it time to go in the pool now? Please can I go in the pool now? Then I think probably I can sort of see where that American guy was coming from and saying, look, really, this is not impinging upon you in any way at all. You are still able to do having had an hour and three quarters of uninterrupted child-free swimming, or at least the potential. Oh, we don't, we don't, I mean, oh, I can't actually remember. I can't remember whether that couple had been there when we got there, but it could only have been half an hour of uninterrupted. Of course. We don't okay. know. Yeah. yeah, no, that, so that, okay, fair enough. But yeah. it, if you had had a certain amount of time of uninterrupted child-free swimming, and then you were still able to swim. Yeah. Um, uh, in a way that really didn't diminish your your own 
experience, then I think it probably would be Karen-y to say something. But I think it's, it's, it's at the point at which, if, if you're just doing it as a point of principle to say, well, those are the rules and you shouldn't really have broken the rules, definitely Karen-y. Yeah. Um, but if you are saying, well, hang on a minute, this toddler is doing wits and screaming and throwing foam noodles about and <laughs> actually all of the other people in this pool now can't do what we have been told that we were going to be able to do, yeah. then absolutely not, Karen. So I think there's always going to be a line of reasonableness, isn't there, which is going to alter according to perception. So your definition of a Karen then is if if the Karen is making a complaint that's unreasonable yeah. in a way that... Prioritises themselves in, an, in what is an entirely unreasonable way, I think. Right, okay. So that's a, that's a sort of clearer definition and obviously I don't agree with people complaining about things unreasonably but I still think it's a little I still think that concept of Kareniness yes will have the grudgeworthy effect of making a lot of people less likely to complain about things that they could legitimately complain about absolutely and so and, I think and with the toddler exam I mean I totally take your point in fact I was I had a very similar situation yesterday where it didn't bother me at all. I was swimming in a swimming pool and the only people in the pool were me and two incredibly quiet, well-behaved, tiny children <laughs> who literally sat in a corner of the pool and chatted quietly to each other. Yes. I ran my legs, but it was at a time when children, so this is a different pool, but this is also a pool that has children's hours. This yes. wasn't during children's hours, didn't even occur to me that there was any problem because there wasn't any problem. Um, so I totally get where you're coming from on that. On the other hand, I can sort of also see that in the case, let's say, I mean, I don't know, there were probably 20 grown-ups in the, in the hotel pool I was talking about before. I think in the minds of at least 15 of those 20, instead of thinking, ah, oh, this is my nice swimming time, 15 of those 20 people, at least, when that child appeared and got in, and he did have one of those foam noodles, actually, uh, <laughs> 15 of those adults thought, oh, okay, something, you know, it might be about to get rowdy and childy now 15 minutes early. And I actually do think like unless well okay unless you want to say that rules are just kind of I mean I think there are some rules that are completely unreasonable and so I wouldn't particularly follow them but I don't think the rule of having some child-free times in swimming pools is unreasonable that's just based on my general knowledge of how children often behave in swimming pools yeah if you're going to concede that's not unreasonable and that lots of the adults will have chosen to go there at that time for that reason I don't actually think it's unreasonable to say like if the woman had said look you know it or even not not like get that child out of the pool yeah I think you know would I that would have looked bad but imagine if she'd said listen it's obviously fine in this case but a lot of the grown-ups, it does actually mean something to them that they care about, that they can come and guarantee there'll be no children there during these hours. 
could you please respect that in future? Something like that, I don't feel is... No, I, I think that's a different thing, isn't it? And I absolutely understand. I get that, um, yeah, I'm here for three days. Mm. I need to I need to know whether I can rely on these child-free hours or not. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It, yeah. I, I do understand that. I do understand that, particularly if, you know, particularly if... As you say, some of those guests might be might have uh, be paying an amount for this trip that they've saved up for and that they've specifically researched carefully into hotels and specifically asked, "Am I going to be able to have child free?" You know, so I yeah. do understand that you need to respect the rules. So I, I, yes, which is why that judgment about reasonableness requires as much evidence as possible mm. and even then people are probably going to come to different points of view about it but to return to what I guess is your essential point the accusation of or the attempt to cut to curtail or suppress someone else's complaining by calling them a Karen mm. yeah um, probably always a bit grudgeworthy yeah uh, I, I probably, think so. probably always a bit grudgeworthy but especially grudgeworthy um, especially grudgeworthy if the complaint isn't unreasonable. Very, very grudgeworthy if the complaint isn't unreasonable. And I, and I would say that, that if the complaint is reasonable, no, sorry, if the complaint isn't reasonable, then it's totally fine to say, hey, you know that thing you're complaining about? I don't agree. I think you're, I don't think Exactly, yeah. Say you're a Karen, don't be a Karen. It's definitely trying to say, on some level, the message it's putting out there to us middle-aged women is shut up and don't complain, even when you've got, you know, even when you think you've got something to complain about, I might think you're being a Karen. So my my mm. message to middle-aged women everywhere is if you think you've got something to complain about, maybe you legitimately have. And as long as you do it in a totally polite and non-aggressive way there is absolutely nothing wrong with it you know I don't regret writing a very polite letter to the manager of Tiffany's saying hey I felt very discombobulated and and you know I didn't get to buy the jewellery I wanted and you missed out on some custom and I think it's a bit of a bonkers policy not to let people in if they just want to browse and what do you think about that? Like it was totally friendly but I'm really glad I did it because actually the manager of Tiffany's kind of went uh yeah, no, that's not something we want to be happening. Um, so, it, yeah. also, it also connects to something that we are, uh, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, I, for part of my life, uh, uh, teach people in rooms. And it's a very important maxim in schools that you need to deal with the behaviour, not the person. So yes. it's a sort of grown-up version of that, isn't it? Where if you say that behave in complaining about that, yeah. that would be an instance of unreasonable behaviour. But to call someone a Karen, you are transposing that uh, yeah. behaviour onto their character as a sort of permanent facet of yes. And of course, if you're if you're calling someone a Karen, you are effectively complaining about <laughs> Karen-y behaviour. So yeah. you might be being a, an even greater Karen or a Derek or whatever we want to call people who complain about Karens. It's like that thing when people talk about, you know, when people say, like, ignore the haters about people who have disagreed with a position they hold. Well, hang on a minute. If you're calling people haters, is that 
loving. Do you know what I mean? It's like people who complain about Karens are complaining, which is precisely what they think Karens should be doing. I think it boils down to, to your point about where the complaint is unreasonable and prioritizes your needs over everybody else's in an unreasonable way. I, I do think that in the case of the, ch the child-free swimming hours, it's not being done in an unreasonable way because I, I, I see the faces. I mean, this is, this is a thing, because I spend a lot of time in swimming pools. There is a significant proportion of adults who go to child-free swimming hours who really, really don't want children turning up during those hours um, for not invalid reasons. So I, I do think that is a, a sort of reasonable thing. And it's possible that the husband just didn't want the wife to make a scene because then he'd be a bit involved in a scene. Um, but I would have preferred him to, I think it would have been less grudgeworthy if he'd said, could you not just because I don't want to have a scene? Um, to deal with that would have been more honest like if he'd said you're totally you have a totally valid right to say this child shouldn't be in the pool now but could you just not for my sake because I just want a nice easy morning or something like that <laughs> oh brilliant well thank you very much Nick for coming on again and we will just do our last little trail of the competition so if you would like to nominate a grudgeworthy behavior or thing or practice from everyday life send in your suggestions to grudgescanbegood at gmail.com and um, the, the full details are on every one of the last few episodes but what you might win is a signed um, poem written by Nick specially about your grudgeworthy nominated behaviour um, and three people will win that and one of those three will also win an ace slap up lunch with the how to hold a grudge podcast team which is me and nick uh, at a restaurant to be determined on a date to be determined so don't miss the chance to enter that competition the closing date is 31st of october or very shortly after that if this episode doesn't end up airing <laughs> until then uh, thank you very much for listening and we will be back very soon bye